If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey everybody, welcome to another chapter of the Book of Sean. It's good to see you. Thank you for tuning in. I have an amazing show for you tonight. I often say it, but it's often true, which justifies me often saying it. Tonight, we have one of our favorite people back. We've been bringing back our favorite people. So Trina, Jocelyn, Tanisha all got together. Those are my producers. Trina's my executive producer. Jocelyn is the supervising producer. And Tanisha is the associate producer. They all got together and said, how about we bring back some guests that we love and just check on how they're doing. And if you've been watching the show lately, you know that we've been bringing back some of our favorites. And I got one of my favorites back tonight. Because we only bring back the favorites, people. Okay? That's not to say if you didn't come back, you're not a favorite. But if you did come back, you're a favorite. Last time my guest was here, he took us into his remarkable story. His heartfelt, heartwarming story about his journey with addiction and with music, being gifted, being good at something, young. And what do you do when you're gifted at something and good at something that you're not necessarily emotionally ready to handle? Sometimes you can win too soon. Teach Dr. Sean. Sometimes your victories come before your character can keep up with your victories. And my guest tonight knows that journey. He knows what it's like to deal with that. And we brought him back just to see how he's doing because we care. All right, welcome to the show tonight, my favorite guy, Aaron Fresh. <laughs> hey, Aaron. Uh, hello, hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you, thank you so much. It's my pleasure to have you, by the way. Um, we are so honored to, to... Say that again? Yeah. I said you're my favorite as well. See, Juan, you don't talk to me like that. See there? <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> listen, man, um, so let's get into it because we got a lot of ground to cover with you. Your story is so interesting. And I want to remind some of the people who maybe missed the first time you were here, just give them a lay of the land, right? Let's level set for the audience tonight. The last time you were here, we talked about your journey with addiction and you talked about mm -hmm. how all of that became a complicated reality as it relates to your music and even your personal life. Just remind everybody of, uh, of, of what we basically dealt with the last time you were here. I mean, yeah, pretty much, you know, um, I started off, uh, you know, like everybody else, uh, using marijuana as a, as a gateway drug. And um, it's because of my friends that I had around me. And, and you were right. I mean, the purpose inside of me, which is still there, by the way, um, was, was, was ready but my character was not ready. Mm. And um, I, I realized uh, about when I was like 25 that everything got really got out of control. Um, I mean, I started doing too much, you know, mm. and I don't want to glorify things and repeat them, but um, yeah, I, I got lost. And um, No, hold on, hold on. If you don't mind, give us a sense of what you were doing. I mean, uh, man, uh, I was doing, I did, I was doing a lot of marijuana. Uh, that's like a, a, a normal thing. Um, and, uh, I was also drinking a lot. I would black out. Sometimes there was a Super Bowl that I couldn't even remember because I was just too, I was too under the influence. And, um, I, I, I cursed a lot of people out and, I just did too much ugliness, um, too much ugliness coming from within and became very toxic myself. So um, it's still a journey. Uh, it, it, it's one of those things will never end. And I put that there. Mm -hmm. um, and the sooner that I realize that is the better off I'll be. So 
you know, I'm now more serious uh, when it comes to that with my sobriety. Hold on, hold on, hold on. We, we, we're gonna get there. We're gonna get there. We're gonna get there. We're gonna, uh-huh. we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna get to the transformation part. But but I want the reason I asked you to, to elaborate is not to be a voyeur into your life, you know, in, in some kind of macabre sense, but so that people will understand um, who are watching tonight how close they may be to a serious addictive problem because they are mirroring some of the behavior that you did uh, when you were in the thick throes of your addiction. Let me ask you this. For those who don't know, and and I've never asked anybody this question, tell me what addiction stops you from doing. It stops you from going towards your light inside of you, Um, your purpose. Um, It distracts you. It gets you off your, your A game, you know? You need as much focus as you can possible to to do what God's purpose is for you. And um, you can't lie to yourself, man. That's what I was accustomed to doing. Um, I would lie for anything, the mm. stuff, you know? So, man, lying to myself ultimately and, you know, secluding myself, I, I, would, I, I wouldn't want to be around anybody because of my energy. And it was hard for me to love myself. So, it's, again, I'm still not done. I'm still fighting. Um, mm. and I don't think it, but, mm. uh, it does get, the more you say no to, to the, to the, the evil desires, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, that, that was a great answer. That was a great answer. Um, I hear you. I want you to know that I hear you. Okay. And, and, mm-hmm. and you, your soul knows what I mean when I say that I hear you. I hear you. All right. So, so, Thank so you. let you, you were going down this road. So I'm gonna let you go down the road some more. Tell us in what ways have you transformed and grown um, and become a better version of yourself since the last time you were here? Well, since the last time uh, I've done a lot of healing um, and it, 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 it doesn't look normal to me. Um, I, I would lash out inside of me. And uh, again, I was still secluding myself, but now I'm, I'm reading more, um, I'm taking chances on, on certain things in life that don't necessarily have to do with music. Um, trying to get out more and, and experience life uh, at, at its basic form, being simple, mm. you know, um, kind of just giving up. Even if, it, even if, I, I often ask myself, if I gave up music, how would I, how would I live? You know, cause it's so close to me and it feels like it's my purpose. So if I ever stopped, I feel like I would die. Like mm. it's not to, you know, serious about it, but that's, that's how I feel. So I, I want to experience life other than just music and see what else uh, might be a talent for me or something that gives me more fulfillment and purpose, you know? Yeah. So, so let me tell you this. Here's what I hear you saying. Okay. What I hear you saying mm-hmm is that in so many ways, you have opened yourself up to life uh-huh. beyond the things that used to support the life that you didn't necessarily want to live. So there was a time in your life when addiction and music dominated your life. It had your focus, yes. it had your attention, it had the substance of your being, as it were. But now yeah. you're at a place where you want to see, what else are, am I good at? What else can I love doing? And so I see you, yeah, and just correct me if I'm wrong, affirm me if I'm right though, you're open to more possibilities now than you were the last time you were here. You got it, you got it, you got it, you got it. And, and you know, music inspires me and there's things in music that I haven't even began. Like, I mean, I could start learning to play the piano or the guitar and really taking that serious, but there's a laziness that comes with that because of my addiction problem. You know, it, it t- again, it t- off your purpose. Like how much of, uh, how much time did I lose by, you know, not spending time with people that I love and actually focusing on my career. It's one of those things that, that keeps haunting me, you know, but yeah, it gets better. It gets better. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just feel the need to say this for everybody that's watching. Um, we're all addicted to something just so we're clear. Okay, ours may not be marijuana or drugs or alcohol. It could, it you know, for me, it's carbohydrates. Okay, 
I'm, I'm, I'm clearly addicted to car. I have to literally work hard not to eat one. Um, for some people, right. it's food. For some people, it's porn. For some people, it's sex. For some people, it's work. For some people, get addicted to anxiety. Some people are addicted to fear. Some people are addicted uh. to failure. They're so used to failing that when they don't fail, they don't know what to do. They totally go through withdrawal. So we, this is why I bring people on who have this journey so that all of us can assess the level of our own addictions and where we are in our own recoveries and where we are in our own journeys. And let me just say this, just to be clear, Aaron, I'm coming back to you in a second, is that don't ever think that the road, you know, to sobriety or to being better is a straight line. It never is. You're gonna have moments where you're up and down and that's just how it goes. Aaron, let me ask you this. The last time you were here, can you remember any part of our conversation or any part of the time that we spent together that sort of stood out to you the most or affected you the most? Yeah. Um, I remember when I was searching for the word that I would say uh, to the people that I've hurt along my, my journey um, mm. and back to myself. And it was so simple. It was so simple. And I hope that you forgive me. I pray that you forgive me. I'm sorry and mm. really mean it and cut it off, you know? Um, also, um, hold on, hold on, hold on, because I see something happening with your face. What's going on? <laughs> what, what's no, that? no, no. Uh, I wanted to, I wanted to just elaborate a little bit more um, on no, 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 no. I mean, we, we're supposed to be just catching up, but I still got to do my job. You felt something. What did you just feel? I did feel something. Uh, the fear of moving on uh, mm. from things that you loved and, you know, people that you loved in, in, your, in your past life. Because, I mean, honestly, I feel like uh, I've, I've ruined a lot of relationships where I can't come back. I've burned a lot of bridges. Yeah, um, yeah. And, I, I really, really wish that I could just take it all back. Um, yeah. That's, so, hold on, Aaron. Hold on, Aaron. Because that's, that's what I saw in your face. What I saw in your face is just saying those words again seemed to bring back to you some of the regret and some of the emotion yeah. that we encountered the last time. Um, yes. Yeah. It hurts. It hurts. It hurts. But I use that as fuel for my purpose. And um, I don't know if that's healthy. <laughs> Well, yeah. it, can, it can be. And I, I'm glad you said that because it gives me an opportunity to do some of what I love to do, which is to, which is to teach. And and regret is not always a bad thing. Sometimes life will give us regret so that the bitterness of it, so that the, the, the sourness of it becomes a way for us to warn ourselves not to practice the kind of behavior and thinking that created the regret in the first place. People who have no regrets can be dangerous because they don't have any guardrails. <laughs> regret, regret works in two ways. The first way is it can drag you down to the bottom or it can provide a guardrail, a boundary, and say to you, you know if you do this, you're going to have to deal with that. And so regret, right. as you just said, Aaron, regret can be something that inspires you to constantly every day find the best version of yourself. So I'm actually glad that you use it in that. How did you learn how to do that? How did you learn how to use regret to inspire you and not make you sad? Um, when I didn't have any other choice, I mean. I know that's um, right. Listen, I almost I threw my shoe. Keep going. Didn't have any other choice. Um, I I was doing things that I, I would, I would uh, I would beg for attention by trying to do things to hurt myself mm. in a sense. Um, and I was like, this is not, this is not me. It's, it's just not me. So whatever was attached to me, whatever those, those thoughts were, I just trying to just keep trying to remove it. And, you know, it's only with God's help that could happen. So, yeah, no, I, I love, I love, I love how you started because some people are incapable of change until they mm. hit the bottom. You, ha you have to hit rock bottom. And let me say this real quick, because a lot of people think that the way we help people is to protect them from hitting the bottom. When the truth of the matter mm. is, protecting people from the bottom may be how you ruin people and prolong their pain. Sometimes you gotta let people hit that bottom so that they can eventually come to what you just said, which is when I couldn't do anything else, 
I realized that I had to use what I had, what I'd gone through as the means by which to inspire me. And so for everybody watching, you know, protecting people from the pain may not be protecting them from anything ultimately. Um, Aaron, let me ask you this, because um, I don't know if we talked about this the last time, uh, but I at least want to give an opportunity for you to talk about it this time. Who are some of the people, because we've talked about the people that you burn bridges with, but who are some of the people who have loved you through this journey and they have been faithful, maybe not always approving, but they have been there to the best of their ability? I can only say my mother. Mm. Uh, everybody else looks at me as though I'm uh, incapable or, you know, all right, at least that's what I be t I'm telling myself, like, because I don't really talk to, to a lot of people, even my own family. Um, it's hard mm -hmm. sometimes to, to like, share my story with them because, you know, it, it, that, that turns into a whole other story. But, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I share with them because, you know, it's, it's, it's foolish. So they, they expect better out of me, um, and I expect better out of myself as well. Yeah. Yeah, listen, God bless our mothers and God bless your mother uh, for having the kind of staying power and steadfastness. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that love is patient and love, it, love is kind. And the patience of love, and we'll take this break, but the patience of love is that love is willing to wait for what it wants. It'll wait on you. And when people love you, they will wait. Not everybody, and not everybody's supposed to wait. But the ones who are there for you, not for a season, but for a lifetime, they'll wait. That's what love does. Anyway, I got, I got more questions for Aaron. I want to ask him about something he just said, by the way, what he tells himself. Because I heard something, and I'm going to fix it right after this. <laughs> we'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. So we're bringing back, and we brought back today, one of our favorite guests whose story inspired us all, made us all think, made us all feel. The last time Aaron was here, um, it was an emotional time. And every time Aaron comes, we get emotional because, you know, we just root for him. Anyway, Aaron, let me ask you this. You said something right before we took that break that made my spidey senses tingle. I was like, oh, I'm not here to do therapy tonight, but I might have to do a little bit. You said <laughs> um, one of the things you tell yourself uh, with respect to the relationships and family members is that people think that you're not capable. People think that you're not fill in the blank. And I'm wondering, right. um, why do you tell yourself that? Because at the very least, let them tell you. Don't you say it. Why do you, why, why is that the case? Um, I'm really hard on myself. So um, when, whenever I do fall, I feel like, uh, I'm just really disappointed in myself. Okay, stop, so, stop, stop. We're gonna do some work. We're gonna do some work. Tell me why you're so hard on yourself. Um, I, I guess my work ethic. Uh, I, I'm, I feel like I go so hard and I go to a lot of extents to, to um, to give my heart to people through my music and through my purpose, and um. I guess I'm so all in when it comes to that, that when it comes to myself, it's like, why am I not doing the same? Why don't I, you know, give my all? Why don't I love myself fully? There it is. Exactly. There it is. Cause I was, that's where I was going because you love yeah. your music more than you love yourself. That is crazy. What you talking about? Wow. <laughs> mm. But is it, but is it true? And how can I fix it? <laughs> wait, wait, you just skipped over admitting it. <laughs> you, I, went, you went right yeah. to fixing it. I love that. Aaron, jump yeah. back. Just, 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 just let, let's have an authentic moment. Is it true? I, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I see truth. To yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And listen, let me tell you something, okay? Listen, listen. This is from the heart. This is, this is from Sean to Aaron or Dr. Sean to Aaron, whichever one you want to talk to right now. I know a lot of gifted people. 
I mean, most of my friends are very gifted people. And in 90% of the gifted people that I know, celebrities, athletes, pastors, everything, most of them love what they do more than they love themselves. It's not uncommon. It's not uncommon. Because what you do has been where you found affirmation, validation, support, encouragement. People celebrated it. And when you came right. off the stage, you didn't get that uh -huh. when you weren't doing music or in, in one of my friend's cases, when you weren't, you know, playing basketball, you didn't get the same validation. So he learned to love basketball and the NBA more than he loved himself. Mm -hmm. My point is, it's very common. So how does that make you feel yeah. hearing that? Make you feel better? It does. It does make me feel better. I, I love when I love uh, that I'm not alone. Uh, I know that I'm not alone. Yeah. So so let, let's get let's hold on. Let's let's get to where you tried to leap over and get to, which is how do I fix it? <laughs> so 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 here's my suggestion. My suggestion is. Because this is ingrained, this is not going to change overnight. My suggestion right. is every time you find yourself being hard on yourself, uh, mm -hmm. that you learn how to tell yourself that without you, the music isn't possible. Okay, I like now, that. I got one more. If you destroy yourself by your own hand or with your own tongue, the music is impossible. I got one more, you ready? If you starve I mean, yourself, I know, if you starve yourself, of validation, affirmation, and kindness. If you starve yourself of that, guess what? The music is impossible. Because the music doesn't exist on its own. There is no music without you. Oh, absolutely. Those are strong words. Strong words, my friend. Very strong. I I I think that um, once I really do make a change in myself, I I wouldn't have to say it. I wouldn't have to boast about it or you know anything. That's where I'm trying to live at in that home in that quiet place inside myself, and just you know heal, be at peace. Yes, but but I, what I'm saying because no no because you're being general. I'm still I, I'm still on what you say to yourself about yourself that you think other people are saying about you. I'm, I'm stuck there. I haven't moved from that. And I haven't moved from that Whoa. because, oh, hold on. I haven't moved from that because that's where most people struggle. We struggle, we don't mostly struggle from what other people say to us. We struggle from what we say to ourselves that we think other people are saying about us. And, and what I'm saying to you is caring for yourself, loving yourself, building yourself, telling yourself, Nobody, first of all, I'm, I'm going to speak in your voice for a second, all right? I'm a, I'm, we're going to role play. I'm going to be you. I'm going to be you. You be me. Okay, you're Dr. Sean. I'm Aaron. This is, this is what I'm saying to myself after this show is over. I may fail. I may drop the ball. But can't nobody fail like me? And can't nobody succeed like me? When I mess it up, I mess it up. And when I cuss you out, I cuss you out because I do everything excellently, including failing. <laughs> I fail at a level 10 where other people fail at a level three. And what I've learned is that it teaches me that I have greatness in all things that I put my hand on. Even when I don't do the right thing, I don't do the right thing in a great way. And so I'm committed to the idea and the notion that what I feed myself happens to be the thing that will give me life or death. It's what I give myself. It's what I say to myself. Huh? Those are the things that are going yeah. to nourish me. You're Dr. Sean. How would you respond, Doc? Aaron, you did a good <laughs> job. <laughs> um, I'm, I, honestly, I can't switch roles with you because you come from a, you do that. You only do Dr. Sean the way you do it at a great, great, uh, in, in, in a great way. So 
I, I love those words that you ju- you're just giving me positive reinforcement, and I really yes. appreciate that. And yes, that's what I do, Aaron. This is what I do. Okay, I gotta come on. I gotta cut you off. I gotta cut you off because I got this game I want to play with you. Okay, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Forgive me. Because because all right. So I'm gonna ask you some questions. Give me quick answers to these, and then we're gonna go into the game. All right. Uh, a new game that I just created, by the way. Trina right now is running around pulling her hair out. Trina, I love you. Trust me. All right. When was the last time you cried? Tell me, quick. Uh, yesterday. When was the last time you danced? Uh, a long time. Three months, maybe? Okay. When was the last time you felt great about yourself? Ooh, last week. You're not going to say tonight? Hello? No. No, not right now. Not right now. Right now. Black people. Anyway. So, (laughs) (laughs) Aaron, when was the last time you told someone no? Uh, Two days ago. Two days ago. All right. So let's play this game. And it's called, Mm -hmm. uh uh-oh, give me that back. <laughs> Hold on, Aaron. I gotta get the name of the game. Hurry up, Juan. We're on live television, man. All right. So, all right, give me that. All right. So we're gonna play this game, and this game is called. Tell me if you agree with this. All right. That's the name of the game. Tell me if you agree with this. All right. So it's yes or no statements, and and give me yes or no answers to these statements. All right. Tell me if you agree with this. A great relationship uh, is better than a billion dollars. Yes or no? No. <laughs> okay, tell me why, really quick, really quick. Tell me why you think that. Uh, love is has been declining, uh, especially in my uh, general area, in my um, in my um, age range. So. Um, no, that's I'm good. That's good. It. That's good enough. That's good enough. In fact, someone said to me that a billion dollars can buy you all the love you want. So, so take the billion. I don't necessarily agree, but I get their point. All right. Tell me if you agree with this. Yes or no. Uh, the only thing better than winning a Grammy is the experience of winning two Grammys. Yeah, I yeah. agree. Tell me if you agree with this. Yes or no. Most of the people in your life can't possibly love you as much as they say because they don't, they don't even know you as well as they claim. Very true. Very true. All right, tell me if you agree with this. Self-love is something you practice and not just something you feel. Very, very true. Very true. Very true. Good. Tell me if you agree with this. The only artist better than Michael Jackson is Prince. Uh, no, I do not agree. Okay, tell me why. Michael Jackson left the blueprint of how to be an artist at a high pinnacle. Yeah. Yeah, there's nobody better than Michael. Nobody better than Michael, Warren. Aaron's not trying to hear that. Warren thinks Prince is better. Well, I think he is very different. He is he is original at its max, but so is so is Michael, and he created a whole bunch of us. (laughs) All right. Tell me if you agree with this, yes or no. The Weeknd is a terrible singer. No, I don't agree. Okay, now you got to get off my show. <laughs> oh, no. You think The Weeknd is a good singer? Yeah, I think he got, yeah. Come on. Oh, my yeah. God. Aaron, you and I were like brothers, right? I think he makes great songs, but I think he's a terrible singer. Well, teach his own. He said to each his own. All right. Tell me if you agree with this. God loves you. I agree. You agree with that. Do you have any evidence? I'm alive. I'm alive. <laughs> I'm, I, have, I have his breath in me. I have his spirit in me. Yeah, All right, hold I, on, hold on, hold on. Tell me if you agree with this. Last one. Aaron Fresh is going to be okay. I agree. You have any evidence? I don't. I don't have any evidence. Besides the fact that I've been doing my purpose even when I don't believe in myself. Even when mm. I don't love still still persevere. That Maybe a, that's my answer. Wait, that was a great answer. That was good. Somebody should put that on a clip somewhere. That's how good that was. Listen, man, thank you for being here tonight. Thank you for this. Thank you for coming back. 
And I wish you love and I wish you peace and success and victory over the disease and the addictions that have been trying to drown out your light. Um, and keep shining, Aaron. There, there, is, there is for you a place where only you can stand. And there is for you a darkness that will never understand you or know you or conquer you. And I wish that for you tonight. Thank you, sir. Amen. Thank you so much. It is. It's a, thank you. Yeah. Listen, everybody, I learned some things from Aaron that I want to talk about. Um, some great things that I want to talk about when we come back. I don't care what he says. The weekend is not a good singer. OK, Aaron. No, no, no. We'll talk about that, too, right after this break. Probably less. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Almost broke my mic. So listen, interesting conversation, wasn't it? Good to see Aaron again. Good to see him going through the ups and downs, the jibes, the jibs, the juxums, and the fluxums of life, because life is not a straight descent up or down. It goes round and round and round and round. It zigzags without our permission. You know, he said something at the end of our conversation that really struck me. He said that he knew he was going to be okay and he didn't have any evidence, but the only thing he could base it on was the fact that he continues to pursue his purpose even when he does not care or love about himself. Love himself, rather. I found that to be an interesting and fascinating answer. Because in a lot of ways, regrettably, sometimes the only evidence that you have that you should be doing something or that you're heading in the right direction is that you continue to do it or head in that direction when you don't feel good about yourself. You see, when you're able to do something and you don't always feel great about you, even as you do it, it's probably an indication that that's the thing that you should be doing because you're doing it without any immediate gratification or no rewards assigned to it at all. You see, music has been an up and down situation for Aaron. It's been the thing that he's loved the most. It's also been the thing, if you remember the first time he was here, the thing that's facilitated his greatest hurt and his greatest pain because music is how he ended up descending into the throes of the thing that tried to take his life, his future, his joy. It's, it's hard to have something that complicated in your life be such a central piece and part of your life. But what I learned from him tonight is that no matter how good you are at something, how great you feel while you're doing something, there is more to life than what you have been able to figure out thus far. Don't you ever get so comfortable in doing something or whatever it is with something, manifesting something, that you think that this is it. God has more for you. There's more for you to discover about yourself and about your life. So as, in as much as you master something, be open and prepared to master something else. Because what you're doing right now may just be preparation. What you thought was final was really seasonal. And that's what I learned from him. And I hope that uh, you learned it too. Yeah. All right. That was my aha moment without the bumper. Let's do some Ask Dr. Sean. <laughs> I forgot about the bumper, all right? You know, things happen. All right, you guys always send me amazing videos. Let's take a look at this one right now. Hey, Dr. Sean, it's Byron Jamal, the love guru, and I need your advice. I have prior plans which keep me from attending a wedding, but I can attend the reception. Is it tacky to just show up to a reception? Oh, great question. I would say no. I don't think it's tacky at all. Um, I really don't. I know people would prefer that, you know, people come to the wedding and to the reception and they get the whole experience. Um, but I think the truth of the matter is the bride and the groom probably won't even know you weren't at the wedding. They're too busy getting married. <laughs> They're too busy saying, do you take this woman to be your wife, to have it to hold the love of the church, cherish, rich or poor, uh, sickness that in health for as long as you both shall live? I do. I mean, they're, they're, they're giving eternal vows. They're way too preoccupied with each other to notice who's sitting in the 15th row on the left hand on the bride's side. I don't know. They won't even know that you're there. Okay? So, you know, I would say go to the reception. Make sure you bring a great gift, okay? Don't go to that reception without a gift, because that's out of order. Bring a gift. And if you're like me, I don't like to go shopping for myself, let alone other people. Bring an envelope. 
put a little, put, put some dollars on an envelope. You know what I'm saying? And then you put it in the thing. What's the thing the wife carries around? The big bag. I, I, does it have a name? I don't know. The bag. <laughs> to put money in the at the wedding bag. And then put, put the money in there and, and then celebrate and dance and eat and drink and have a good time. You know, I don't think you need to make it a big deal. Don't make your presence at their wedding an issue because they're not there for you. <laughs> You're there for them. OK, so don't draw attention to it. Don't make it such a big deal beforehand. All right. Unless you have some responsibility in the wedding. Well, then you kind of have to let them know. But if you're just attending, listen, go to your event, come to the reception, you know, um, and if anybody asks you something, then you just say, hey, before, you know, you guys were even getting married, I had this event that I had to go to. And so I went, but I came to celebrate with you. And then they'll be looking like, oh, oh, you didn't come to the wedding. And that's when you pull out the envelope and you say to them, this is going to bless you and make you forget <laughs> that I wasn't at your ceremony. I'm trying to tell you, money will make people forget, Juan. Yes, it will. Listen, everybody, when I, we come back, we're going to do some more Ask Dr. Sean, okay? I love answering these questions, and I appreciate all of you sending them uh, to us. I don't have time to read this one. I'm going to read it on the other side of the break, and we'll deal with it there right after this. So someone emailed me this question. My mother refuses to babysit my six-year-old son unless I pay her $20 an hour. Is she being ridiculous or am I being unreasonable? Okay. So you mean to tell me? Your mother, who I'm assuming is the grandmother, grandparent of this child, will not watch the child unless you pay her a already prescribed amount. I think there's something wrong with that. Yeah, let me just speak in favor of the grandmother for a second. Now, I do know that there are a lot of young parents out there who kind of leave their kids with their uh, with the kid's grandparent, and they leave them there for hours upon hours, sometimes days and days. So if you have burned this bridge with your mom because that's something that you've done, then I'm on the mom's side, okay? Because anybody who's just going to leave your kid there for hours upon hours upon hours, days a day, and we all know that there are parents who do this, who let, their, let the grandparents do more raising of the kids than the actual parents. And I think... If, if that's your history with this, then your mom may be trying to develop boundaries. She may be trying to say to you, I'm willing to be around my grandkid. I'm willing to do, to do this for hours, but you're going to have to, you, we're going to have to have a different understanding. Now, if that's not the case and your mom is just sort of randomly asking without you abusing the privilege at all, then I think your mom is out of order. All right. Grandparents should not be charging their kids to, to look after their grandkids. What kind of grandparent is that? And do you want to leave your kid with a grandparent that only wants to watch them unless they're getting paid? I don't think I want my kid there. Okay, I'm just saying. I need you to want to be around your grandkids because you love the grandkids. Not because you're getting paid some market rate to watch them. I think that, you know, your mom is just out of order. I mean, there's no other way to say it. The mom, if, there's no, if there's no abuse in the relationship as it relates to her having to watch her grandkids for extended amount of times, and you, you've been totally reckless and, 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 and disrespectful with her time, if none of that's a part of this, and you've not violated any confidences or boundaries with respect to abusing the privilege of having a grandparent, and she's just coming out saying, I want you to pay me. Mom's out of order, all right? I would not pay my mother a dime to watch my sons. Now, if you need me to bring food for them, I can do that. You need me to bring one of them juice boxes, some diapers, I can bring that but to pay you as if you are a service? In the words of Nicole up there in the, in the, in the studio, what's that called? The control room. <laughs> I can get a real babysitter. 
Why would I pay you when I can go get a real babysitter who actually brings certain skills to the job? How about everybody just watch their grandkids because they love their grandkids and you want your grandkids to know you, okay? How about we just do that? Everybody's always asking for money as if money will do everything. Let me tell you what it won't do. It won't make your grandkid love you when you get old and keep them from putting you in a home. <laughs> okay, take a look at this video. Go ahead. Hey, Dr. Sean. I have an interview coming up, and I'm wondering if it's a good idea to negotiate the salary that's offered or take it and work my way up. What are some tips to make sure that I don't lose the job opportunity by asking for too much but still knowing my worth? Well, great question. Um, I always think it's a great idea to negotiate um, as long as you have leverage. I think what you discover in any negotiation is whether or not you have any leverage at all. If you don't have leverage, then it's difficult to ask to walk in demanding things. Um, but not having leverage also doesn't necessarily mean that you're desperate. So he, these, are, these are my steps. Know what number you need to make to make you okay. What's the number that's gonna allow you to live your life, not allow you to go to San Tropez every weekend or to the Bahamas once a month. The number that you need to make that's gonna make you comfortable, have your bills paid, and still be able to have a lifestyle that's, you know, that you want and that you deserve. Whatever that number is, you walk in the room with that number. But you also have to have a sense of what do other people in the industry that you're getting into who have the position similar to you, what are they making? And that'll give you a sense of what the market is. So you're armed with two important parts or two important pieces of information rather. You know what the market is saying and paying and you know what you need. So when you go on the interview, one of the first things you say is, okay, now that we talked about what I like, what I don't like, what I'm good at, what school I went to, blah, 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 blah. Here's what you asked him. And what are you compensating this position at? What rate of compensation have you set aside and provided to show your investment and your commitment to this position? And you sit back and wait for the answer. And if that answer is below what the market is doing and it's below what your number is, then you have no choice to negotiate. And the first thing you say is, you say, listen, this really isn't about what I want. Let me tell you what the market is doing. And, and what you've given me is significantly or slightly beneath what other people are doing, okay? And you should know, I'm speaking in your voice, they're paying people who don't bring half as much as what I bring to the table to do the same job. So, I always think it's important for you to negotiate. I never think you should just take something because somebody offers it to you. Unless you're completely desperate and you need a job. You hear me? Or if you're at a place where you just need a job because you need to not be homeless and you need to put some chicken in your stomach, okay? Then, you know, you might have to go in and say, okay, I'll take it. <laughs> and there's no shame in that. I've been there. We've all been there. You know what I'm saying? Some of us may be there again. The reality, the reality is you do whatever the truth dictates. If you're not desperate, then you negotiate. If you're absolutely desperate, you negotiate a little bit. But you stay within reason and understand that you don't want to negotiate your way out of a job. That makes sense? I think it did. Um, yeah. Do we have another question? There we go. Someone DM me a question. My son's father is only active in his life when we are on good terms. Whenever we have a disagreement, he disappears for weeks at a time, ignoring our son and abandoning his duties as a father. Is it wrong with me to want to cut ties with him for good? All right, real quick before I take this break. Um, I understand that you and your son's father are not getting along. I understand right now he's not being very responsible or adult with respect to his son, but I never would advise anybody to, to allow a son to cut ties with his father. I think you and him can cut ties, but to whatever degree that he wants to be in his son's life, I think you should allow that to happen. I also think you should have a conversation with your son and let your son know I'm not standing in the way of you having a relationship with your father. This is what your father is choosing to do, to do and these are the reasons I perceive he's choosing to do it but you can access, call, talk to your father, whatever you want to, and he can do the same for you. And at some point, you need to ask your father 
why it is he chooses to be in and out of your life. I never think it's a good idea for, the, for two parents who are not getting along to make their relationship take precedent over the ones that they should be having with their children. The kids come first. If you two can't get along, that's grown folks' business. Don't make the kids suffer because two grown folks can't be grown enough to act grown when it's time to be grown. Okay? That's my thoughts about that. Been there. I was a good parent, though. <laughs> anyway, we'll be right back right after this with Here's What Doesn't Make Sense. Welcome back, everybody. Let's do a little bit of Here's What Doesn't Make Sense. So, let's talk about Marjorie Taylor Greene. It was reported in one of the more reputable uh, periodicals that Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, wants to be and is trying to convince Donald Trump to make her his vice presidential running mate in 2024. The article said that Marjorie Taylor Greene believes that she can bridge the divide between uh, the party's hardliners and the more established establishment wing of the Republican Party. And the way I see it is that Marjorie Taylor Greene has at least three problems with this notion. There are at least three problems with what Marjorie Taylor Greene wants to do. Number one, write this down, people. Donald Trump is a narcissist, and he's not choosing anybody who's going to draw any of the attention away from him. If you think Donald Trump is going to choose somebody who's going to take some of his attention, you are absolutely out of your mind. There's a reason he chose Mike Pence, people, because Mike Pence is essentially a Christian mannequin in a suit. <laughs> Mike, Mike Pence didn't say nothing, he didn't think nothing, and he didn't do nothing. And Donald Trump loved him for it. Marjorie Taylor Greene, you ain't going to be the vice presidential running mate for Donald Trump because he's a narcissist. Number two, Marjorie, here's why you won't get picked. You won't get picked because Donald Trump really doesn't want to be president again. Now, I haven't talked to him. And we've never had a conversation, and I haven't talked to anybody in his policy shop, but I know what I see when I'm looking at something. I think if you ask Donald Trump what's the worst job you have, he ever had, he would say being president of the United States. I think Donald Trump was absolutely miserable most days while he was president of this country. I think he had a much better time sitting up in his office on Fifth Avenue in Manhattan in New York City. Donald Trump didn't like being president, and he's only running now with half his heart. You've seen his campaign thus far. Has, is he really campaigning? When you listen to him speak, do you really hear his heart being into it? He's not into this. His ego has convinced him to do something that his heart really doesn't want to do. And he sounds like it. Donald Trump probably thought to himself, being president is so bad and so terrible. You got people looking over your shoulder. You got all these laws, <laughs> all these rules you got to follow. Uh-uh. Marjorie, you want to hook up with a guy who I don't think really wants to be president. But it's the third reason, Marjorie, why your idea is a bad idea. Nobody takes you seriously, ma'am. People think that you're a joke. And not just a joke. How about this? A lot of people think you're a bigot. No, no, not allegedly. No, a bigot. Because you speak at the rallies of bigots. You go to bigoted rallies and give speeches and affirm the people that plan them, which in most cases would make you a bigot. And if you think that Democrats or independents or level-headed Republicans are going to vote for you, then you got another thing coming, Marjorie. Okay? I just, I just want you to understand something. I got a fourth reason. You come across as being pretty unintelligent. <laughs> You come across like you haven't read a book in a long time. Marjorie, you ain't gonna be vice president, okay? It's not gonna happen. And just to be clear, Donald Trump ain't gonna be president either. The fifth reason. Let me move on. Let's talk about the Dad Caucus. So, I'm sure you've heard of the Congressional Black Caucus, and I'm sure you've heard of the Hispanic Latino Caucus and the LGBTQ Caucus. Well, there's a new caucus. There's even a woman's caucus. But there's a new caucus in D.C. called the Dad's Caucus. A news conference was held on Capitol Hill, and a number of congressmen uh, got together, congressional leaders got together uh, with advocacy groups and nonprofits and introduced the Dad Caucus. Yes, 
Now, I'm assuming that the goal of the Dad Caucus is to have men advocate and support for policies that empower families and benefit um, families in a very particular way. And the benefit of having men do it, having dads do it, is that there are a lot of people in this country who don't listen to women. They don't respect their opinions and their views. So having men advocate for policies that support families will probably make those policies more palatable to other men. I'm told that the new caucus will support the expansion of the child tax credit, improve access to health care, paid family leave, and all of these are things that I absolutely support. I absolutely support all of these policies. But I have to admit I have a little problem with the dad caucus, okay? Not, you know, an inherently ontological problem, but I got a little problem with the dad caucus. And I showed up to tell you why. So, when it comes to men and being dads and all of that, I don't think men need a special caucus in the Congress. I got receipts. How about most of the Congress happens to already be made up of men? And in fact, in the history of this country, most of the elected officials have also been men. I just should say, just for, for clarity purposes and sake, they've been white men. So I don't see why we need a special dad caucus for people who have always been there, who are there now, and who are fully capable of advocating for the policies that they believe and want to see um, come to fruition. Having a dad caucus is not a bad thing, but it seems a little cumbersome to me. And I'll tell you why. The Congressional Black Caucus, the Hispanic Caucus, the LGBTQ Caucus, and the Women's Caucus were all special groups created in the Congress to give voice to people who were marginalized who come from marginalized communities and marginalized places. So you have a Congressional Black Caucus because black folks have been marginalized. Hispanic Caucus for the same reason. Show me when in the history of this country where men have been marginalized. A lot of white guys think they're being marginalized now, but they're not. I don't think we need a dad's caucus because if most of the men in Congress are fathers and most of the people in Congress are men, then why do we need a special group? How about men just open their mouths and advocate for families the way women do? How about that? Anyway, this has been fun, people. Wasn't it good to see Aaron again? It was great to see him, and it was also great to see you. Thank you for tuning in. Yes, 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 yes. Remember what we learned tonight. Love yourself, okay? Don't just love what you do. Love who you are. Because if you lose yourself, you ain't going to be able to do it. Y'all be good to each other. I love you.